Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you. Let me brag on our lead pastor, Joe. By the way, if it's your first time, please come back and hear our lead pastor, Joe. But he went and served with the little ones, and I think he's going back to do that again. So there's no place that Pastor Joe won't serve, and we love him for that. I had an interesting morning this morning. I, I wanted to get here early, get prepared, kind of get settled. And as I was driving in, I saw this truck with this horse trailer, and it was broken down on the side of the road. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And then a little bit further, I see this guy leading a horse down the road. And, and as I came up on him, the horse stumbled and fell. And I mean, I know that's terrible for a horse, so I, I pulled over, I thought maybe I could help, and I, and I walked up and I said, is everything okay? And the horse turned its head toward me and said, I've fallen and I can't giddy up. <laughs> oh, man. why the long face? <laughs> All right, no more host, horse jokes. Well, just thought I'd throw that one out while I was in the neighborhood. Okay, we'll saddle up with Zacchaeus. We're going to be talking about Zacchaeus. It's in uh, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Uh, it's one of my favorite Bible stories, and as, as I've gone through it this week, the Lord, I felt the Lord speaking to me through it. And some of you may be thinking that I picked Zacchaeus because I'm not the tallest person in the room, and maybe a little bit of that is true, especially in my middle school years. By the way, if you've got kids or kids are here in the middle school years, just extra grace, you know, because you're always trying to fit in. It's such an awkward age. And it seemed like everyone was having a growth spurt, except me, especially the girls. And then you were interested in girls and they were taller than you. You can't have a girlfriend that's taller than you. So I do relate in that way. But it was a little bit different for me because I was in middle school in the 70s. And in the 70s, we had a fashion trend called platform shoes. <laughs> and I went out with Mama and I got the biggest platform shoes that I could find. And I went to the middle school dance in my bell-bottom corduroys and platform shoes. And I was tall. The girl said, Dean, gosh, you're so tall. I said, yeah, we're good until I sit down, so let's stand. <laughs> but let's read about Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. And by the way, I love that at River Bluff, when we read a passage like that, that we say, this is the word of the Lord, that we make that distinction. I'm a student of history. I like history. And in the colonial period, we had these chapels that were on the riverways. And because it was easy to travel to these chapels, they were called chapels of ease. And you would have a minister that would maybe once a quarter would come to a chapel of ease and give a sermon there. And the people would all travel the waterways to go to this chapel. And so I was touring one of these chapels, and the historian was telling me all about it. But I noticed something odd. There was a podium or lectern on one side of this stone building, and on the other side was another podium and lectern. And I I couldn't understand why there were two. So when he finished his talk, uh, he asked if there were any questions. I said, why are there two podiums? And he said, because the minister had a Bible on this podium. And he would read the Bible. And then he would walk across the room. And he would give his message, his sermon, from the other podium. I said, well, that seems weird, odd. Why would he do that? He said, to show the separation between God's word and man's word. And it just hit me. And there's there's such a distinction, and I'm glad that we do that here. Because God's word does not return void. It accomplishes what it needs to do. My words may fall short, but God's words will not. So just keep that in mind as as you read your Bible. For the longest time... When I was growing up, I was taught God's Word. And I had wonderful teachers, uh, Sunday school teachers, pastors, youth leaders that were, were putting into me. And I caught a lot of that. But it wasn't into my early 20s that I really started reading God's Word for my own. And it made such a difference because there would be something in there that would just jump out at me. I can remember thinking, I know I've read this passage before, but I've never seen this. That's the power of God's word. I encourage you to do that yourselves. So in this story of Zacchaeus, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And we know in Jerusalem he had his triumphant entry. And then a couple days later he was betrayed, arrested at night, false charges. They asked for his crucifixion. He gave his life on the cross for us as a sacrifice for our sins. And three days later he arose from the grave. That's where Jesus is in the story. He's passing through Jericho on his way there. So let's start with verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Chief tax collector and rich. Has anyone here, have you been watching this series, The Chosen? Anybody watchers of Chosen? If you haven't, I, I highly recommend it. It's a great a great way that they have told the story of of Jesus. And in there, they take a little artistic liberties, but they kind of show you Matthew, the tax collector. 
and they start off with Matthew in his house, and it's this nice house, but he's all alone. It's just him in this house. And he opens up a cabinet, and he has a choice of robes and a choice of sandals, which would have been very rare for anyone else, unless you were wealthy. And so Matthew is um, kind of hated and despised. He's even ostracized from his own, his own family. And it even takes a while for the disciples to kind of warm up to him. But Jesus chose him. Here in Luke 5, 27, we see it. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Matthew got a second chance. Jesus demonstrates that our God is a God of second chances. Now, as a tax collector, you are rich, but you're not respected because you're basically a traitor to your people. You're serving the oppressors. And the Roman system of tax collecting was often corrupt because they paid tax collectors a commission on what they collected. So you can see how they could raise the stakes because they would get more money from it. And they really couldn't be challenged because they had the might of the Roman army behind them to enforce that collection. And Zacchaeus wasn't just your rank and file tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. Imagine how hated that he was. Now, Many of you probably know that I'm a pastoral counselor. I serve in our counseling program. And the counselor side of me says, why did Zacchaeus become a tax collector? And I wonder if it had to do with his small stature. You know that maybe when he was a kid growing up, he was picked on. He was called names. He was bullied. He was pushed around. And he wanted something to give him power. He grew up with this anger and resentment. He had a chip on his shoulder. And he said, you know, one day, one day I'm going to make all you guys pay. You're going to regret that you ever picked on Zacchaeus. Maybe that's why he became a tax collector. We don't know. But he did. And he became the chief tax collector. And now he's rich. He's hated by his people but he's rich. And Zacchaeus can have probably all the material possessions that he desired. But we know that material possessions, they never fully satisfy, do they? You know, the new luxury car, that new car smells away, fades away, and we're left with the car payments. And the big house comes with the big mortgage and the big repair bills, the big maintenance taxes. A friend of mine has the largest house in his neighborhood, and I will not tell you his name because he would kill me, but whenever we talk about his house, he has this famous quote, and he says, a monument to one's ego is a burden to one's soul. We see time and time again that the rich are actually miserable especially the ultra-rich, you know, they, they don't know if people are really their friends or they're just hanging around because of their money. 
And imagine when they, when they have a spouse. Did my spouse really love me for who I am? Or do they love me just because of my money? And we see these messy divorces. We see people that have fame and fortune and we think they have it all. And yet, when we pull back the curtain, they're miserable. They're isolated. They're lonely. John D. Rockefeller was the first American billionaire. He formed Standard Oil. My father used to actually work for Standard Oil. When he died in 1937, there was a big press conference, and the reporters were there, and it was John D. Rockefeller's lawyer. And they were asking all kinds of questions. And finally, one lawyer looked up and he said, how much did he leave? And the lawyer paused and he looked up and he said, all of it, all of it. We don't bring anything into this world and we don't take anything out. But an interesting fact on John D. Rockefeller is that he was generous. He gave away millions. He was a great philanthropist, especially in the Cleveland area where, he, where his headquarters were. And people would look at that and say, well, you're a billionaire. Kind of easy for you to give away millions. That's just pocket change for you. But they have a biography of John D. Rockefeller, and they've discovered journals from when he was 16. He later became an accountant, and even at the age of 16, he liked to keep these financial journals. And so in their financial journals with this little job that he had, where he made a little bit of money, he tithed 10% and he gave away 10%. There's an article from Medical News Today, and it quotes a research study by Maria Kohut, PhD, and it states, generosity makes you happier. Researchers have found a connection between happiness and the performance of selfless acts. Giving to others, they say, activates an area of the brain linked with contentment and the reward cycle. So generosity makes you happier. You know, I love this with it being scientists. You know, in our day and time, scientists are always mocking the Bible. Hollywood does a good job of mocking the Bible. If you believe in the creation story instead of evolution, then you're an idiot and you're a buffoon. And yet time and time again, they prove the validity and the truth of the Bible. So do you want to be happier? Be generous. Tithe, give, give to others, be blessed. There's a story, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but it was a story of a man in construction. He owned a construction company, and he got saved and came to know the Lord as his Savior. And he began attending church, and he began tithing and giving. And it became this way of life for him, and he began giving more and more and more. And finally, someone came to him, and they said, how do you do it? How do you give so much so consistently? And he said, well, let me, let me tell you something. I, I have a construction company. And my construction company, we do site work. So we have these huge excavators that, that move soil and rock. He goes, basically, they're a big shovel. And here's what I've discovered. 
no matter how much I give, God has a bigger shovel. I've gotten contracts I shouldn't have got. And not just that, not just financial blessings, but other blessings have come into my life that can only be attributed to the hand of God, to his blessings on my life. So if you're unhappy this morning, find a way to bless somebody today. So Zacchaeus is this chief tax collector, and he's rich. Let's continue on in this story with verses 3 and 4. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. We don't know why. The scripture doesn't tell us. But most probably, he'd heard of the miracles. He'd heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf can hear, the mute can speak, the demons have been driven out of people. Maybe he heard that he was this tremendous speaker, that the authority and the power with which he spoke, and it was so radically different from the leaders of that day, from the Sadducees and the Pharisees. We don't know, but whatever the reason, when Zacchaeus couldn't see, he ran ahead and climbed a tree to see Jesus. Now, has anyone here been to Israel, been to the Holy Land? Anybody? Couple? Wait, did you notice that when you were over there, it was a lot of rocks and sand? I was so disappointed in a way. I grew up with all these Sunday school stories and books and pictures of Jesus on these rolling grassy hills. And I was like, well, it must be there. And the water's all blue. And the Jordan was this dirty brown river and there's a lot of rocks and sand. But Jericho was actually built on the largest oasis. So it was a lush place. It did have trees. So he was able to do that. But two important points there. So Zacchaeus ran on ahead and he climbed a tree. Uh, Timothy Keller does a great study on the prodigal son. Of the prodigal son. I'm losing my voice here on the prodigal son, and in that study, he talks about when the father runs to his son. And he said, anybody hearing that in that day would have been shocked because a dignified man, a patriarch, did not run. He wouldn't have done that because to do that, a man would have had to lift up his robes and he would have run the chance of exposing himself. And here we see that Zacchaeus ran. And not only that, he climbed a tree. Can you imagine that vantage point? Ladies, do you want to climb a tree in a dress? Had double exposure at that point. So why would he do it? Why would he risk the humiliation? All we know is that he wanted to see Jesus. You know, for me... I want to see Jesus really bad when things aren't going well, when I'm hurting, when I'm under financial stress, when there's a health concern, when there's a problem in a relationship, I really want to see Jesus. But you know, when, when times are good and there's money in the bank and everybody's happy and having fun, well, then 
you know, it's convenient to just to seek Jesus at the 11 o'clock service. Oh, wow, it's already Sunday? You know, I, I really haven't prayed this week or read the Bible, but, you know, everything's good. For the early part of my life until my 20s, I, I was a Sunday Christian. So, you know, I would cruise through the week and I'd do whatever I wanted to do, and then on Sunday... I'd get all dressed up and I'd put that smile on my face and I'd blow the dust off my Bible and I'd walk in and I had Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit in this little Sunday box and I was religious. It's never about religion. It's about a relationship. There were religious leaders in Jesus' day and that's who he had the most trouble with. Do whatever it takes to seek Jesus. Be willing to take a risk, to run, climb a tree, and take the time to see Jesus. You know, I'm a big fan of the Bible app, and I love it because I have a Bible plan on there that I go through, and I read that every day, and there's like a verse of the day that always speaks to me. And there's also a guided prayer in there. And in the guided prayer, it often says something like this, just pause, take a couple of deep breaths, because the God of the universe wants to spend time with you. And that always hits me. The God of the universe wants to spend time with me. I think about the beauty of our world and the sky and the Milky Way and the thousands of stars in the sky, and yet that creator wants to spend time with me. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Let's pick up in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. The great preacher communicator R.C. Sproul said that in that moment, Jesus in his humanity didn't know Zacchaeus from a hole in the wall. But in his divinity, he knew Zacchaeus and he called him by name. You know, he didn't walk up and say, hey, dude in the tree, it looks like you went to a lot of effort to see me, so I'm going to come and hang out with you today. No, it was, it was personal. It was direct. Remember, Jesus doesn't look at the occupation. He doesn't look at our sin. He doesn't look at our situation. He looks at the heart. And Jesus saw his father at work in Zacchaeus. Look at Jesus' words in John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, when he says truly, truly, it's important. I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus recognized his Father at work in Zacchaeus. Our Lord and Savior walked this earth and displayed the heart of God. His words, his examples make the unseen God known. And he saw him at work. I love the Henry Blackaby study, Experiencing God. One of my all-time favorite studies 
I hit that in my 20s, and it, and it radically changed my life. And in that study, Henry Blackaby talks about this verse where Jesus says, I do nothing on my own. I only do what I see my father doing. And he says, as Christians, we need to, what? Copy Christ, emulate Christ. And he said, so we need to look at where God is at work and join him in that. And he began preaching that and teaching that to his church in Canada. Find where God is at work and join him in it. And it just so happened at that time in their church, they'd heard of this great Bible study that was just going across the country and was very popular, and they wanted to do it at their church, and they ordered all the material and paid the money and got it in. They were going to do a big launch of this Bible study. But in the meantime, they had a couple that had migrated to Canada from India. And this couple came to the church, and they got saved. And that couple went to the community and got some other folks and brought them to church. And they got saved. And then these two couples started bringing these other people to Henry Blackaby's church. And the leaders of his church came to him and said, Henry, you've been teaching us to look for where God is at work and to join him in it. And what we see is this Indian community, and they're coming here. And said, we know we've spent this money for this Bible study, and we know it's doing great things otherwhere, but we see God at work here, and we want to join him in it. And so that's what they did. And they had many people from that community saved, and I believe they actually started an Indian church in that community. So look for where God is at work. Begin looking for where God is at work around you and join him in it. It could be a neighbor. It could be a coworker or a friend at school. But you know, when you're working with God and you're in the center of his will, it's amazing what can happen. Jesus saw his father at work in Zacchaeus and he joined him in that work. In verse 6, Zacchaeus, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. So we have this incredible moment for Zacchaeus. You know, the excitement and joy that must have filled his heart. You know, he just saw Jesus, and not only that, Jesus looked up and made eye contact with him. He made eye contact with the Son of God. I, I can't imagine what that would be like. And then he called him by name and said, I'm going to go to your house today. Zacchaeus must have been pinching himself. I'm sure he was like, I can't believe it. Am I really getting a second chance? But then the grumblers. Oh, the grumblers. I have a confession. If I would have been there that day, I would have been a grumbler. I would have been saying, oh, no, no, not Zacchaeus. Lord, we'll go anywhere. We'll go to the house where they sell cow manure. We'll go to the goat guy that lives with six goats, but not Zacchaeus. Do you know who he is? Do you know how many lives he's ruined? you know how much money he's pocketed? Do you know how hard he's been on the poor? 
Do you know how hard he's been on me just to put money on the table? This won't come up on the screen, but in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And we see when Jesus was in Jerusalem, when he was hanging on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He lived it out. Who's your Zacchaeus? Have you ever looked at someone and just made this quick judgment based on appearance or whatever? Or have you ever read about someone's failure and made your judgment? Have you ever considered someone irredeemable? They are beyond all hope. There's another story, and again, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it was of a rich man in a small rural town. And this rich man had a practice of inviting every new preacher that came to town to his office. And so a new preacher came to town, and he set up a meeting with him. And the new preacher asked his people of his church, he's like, what's going on? Why does this guy want to meet with me? And they said, oh, well, he does that every time. Um, and he's not really a likable guy. Um, and he's rich, and he's never come to church. He won't darken the door. And he's kind of gruff, and he's real straightforward. He, he's fair, but he's awful blunt. So you just kind of got to go do it, and then we'll just come back and do church. He said, well, okay, I'd like to go meet with him. So the pastor went and met with this rich man, and he stepped into the office, and it was the the office with all the trappings of wealth and it was the big, huge desk and he was kind of an imposing figure and he was gruff, just like the people had told him about. And he said, well, you know, I wanted to meet with you. I like to meet with everybody. I'm, um, I'm kind of prominent in this town. I have a lot of influence and I just want to tell you two things. He says, the first thing is don't come to me for money. He said, I don't do that. I don't donate to the church. And he says, the second thing goes along with that is I know the people in your church. I know the things that they've done. So don't expect me to come to your church. Don't expect me to, to be a part of it. And the pastor said, well, okay. He said, you, you don't have to be a part of our church. And he said, actually, any church that I've ever been a part of has sinners. We're, we're all sinners. He said, but let me take just a moment and tell you my story. Let me give you my testimony. So he told that rich man about his journey to come to know Christ and how it had radically changed his life. And because of that, he'd given his life in ministry to the Lord. And then he presented the gospel to this rich man. And he noticed that the man had stopped staring at him and was just staring at the desk. And so there was this kind of pregnant pause. There was this silence. And the man looked up, and there were tears in his eyes. And he said, I've been inviting pastors here for years and years. 
You were the only one that cared enough about me to share the love of Christ. And he accepted Christ. And it radically changed his life. With Zacchaeus, they felt he was beyond all hope. That he was irredeemable. And I know we make judgments. I make judgments all the time. I do. I can judge somebody based on their bumper sticker. Have you seen some of these bumper stickers? I mean, really? And I hate to do it, but I ease up at the light, and I want to look and see who's, who's driving that car that has that bumper sticker back there. And I give them the judge look, too, like, really? Oh. And then I look forward and stay all righteous and everything. And I don't know. That could have been somebody that just bought a used car. They can't wait to get home and take that bumper sticker off. So we, we do it. We judge. And I have to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Recently, I was driving to the post office. We went on Cross County Road. And it was 5 o'clock. So I'm in 5 o'clock traffic. And I am a mild-mannered, calm individual. But something happens to me when I get behind the wheel of a car. I become that man that has to conquer the trip. And it's 5 o'clock and I got things to do. And I'm pulling up Dorchester Road, and I got to get in that turn lane. And I notice in the front spot is the little tiny mail truck up there with its flashers on. And it looks like people are trying to go around it. And I'm like, oh, no. Man, that's all I need today. It's going to hold me up. I bet I'm not going to get through the light before it turns. Why couldn't they just pull off the side of the road? So I'm all grumpy, you know, and the light goes, and, I, and right as I get around the car to go and make my left, I look, and there's this young lady that's in there, and she's distraught. And it's just a brief second. It's just in that moment, and you just know it. And I pulled around, and I'm thankful the Lord is always gentle with me, but I kind of have this conversation going with the Lord. So I'm driving down to go to the post office and the Lord's going, well, Bubba, you kind of misjudged that one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. She kind of looked distraught, like she needed help, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. And by this time, I put my mail in and come out. I said, Dean, did you notice that nobody stopped to help her? Yeah. But I'm busy. I got a lot to do. I'll tell you what, if she's still there, I'll help. Would you believe she was still there? (laughs) And I was like, all right, here we go. So I go and turn around, and there was an area, there were no cars at that time, so there was an area where I could pull up right next to her, and I rolled down my window, and I said, are you having some car trouble? And she said, yes, it's terrible. She goes, it started in my last neighborhood. She said, I've called my supervisor, and he said, if you can just make it back to the post office. She goes, that's what I'm trying to do. It's right there. That's just the, she goes, I can't get it to crank back up. She goes, if I can get it to crank up, I can go a little ways with it. And she goes, whenever I stop, that it turns off. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And she goes, well, I've sat here enough times that I know exactly when the light's going to turn. She said, so I want to wait till that moment and see if it'll crank up. 
And I said, well, I'll stay here with you. And I said, and if it doesn't crank up, I said, I'm sure I could push you off into the school over here. And she said, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So then she goes, okay, it's about to turn. And she hit it, and it sparked up. It went, and it just came to life or whatever. And she looked at me, and she went, praise Jesus. <laughs> and I said, praise Jesus. And she took off, and I saw her go off into the, into the post office. And that whole line of cars went by, and nobody let me in. And I got in position, and the light turned red. But you know what? At that point, I wasn't in such a hurry anymore. And I felt the pleasure of the Lord in that moment. And I think sometimes we, we look for these big things, but it's always kind of these small things where God's at work, and we can feel his, his pleasure. So the crowd had grumbled over Zacchaeus, and I feel sure there was probably valid reasons for that. But look what happens next. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Fourfold. Half of everything to the poor. And if I've, thrown, if I've cheated you, I'm not just going to pay you that amount. I'm going to pay you four times that amount. I'm sure that the people that were standing on that road, their jaws were on the floor. And they're saying, what just happened? What, what happened to Zacchaeus, the tax collector? He's going to give half to the poor and repay four times? I can't believe it. You know what happened to Zacchaeus? He encountered Jesus. You cannot encounter Jesus and stay the same. Zacchaeus' life was radically changed when he encountered Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, he was aware of his sin, but he did something about it. He altered his whole way of living. He couldn't remain the same person. You know, I've, I've drawn this parallel between Zacchaeus and the Charles Dickens story of Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge. Do y'all remember Ebenezer Scrooge? What a surly, mean, bah, humbug guy he was. You know, he wouldn't give any money to the poor. He wouldn't let them have any heat in the office. And poor Bob Cratchit is in there freezing to death. And there's little tiny Tim, and he doesn't care anything about anybody. But then something happens. He has these encounters. First is the ghost of his old business partner, Jacob Marley. And Jacob Marley, if, I don't know if you remember, but he comes in and he's got all these heavy chains on him and all these lead weights. And Scrooge asked him, what, what is that? He said, I forged every link on these chains. I brought in every weight by the way I treated my fellow man by the way I hoarded my money and didn't give to the poor, by the way I exploited my workers, I formed all these chains, and now they're my punishment. And you, you see that there's these other spirits that night, and Scrooge is thinking it's all over, but in the morning, when he wakes up, he realizes that it's Christmas Day. 
that he has a second chance. And, you know, he goes out into the streets and he's giving money to this kid to, to buy a goose for Bob Cratchit and his family. And he's tipping people and he finds the guy and he puts a big purse into his hands for the poor. And he's just giddy. He's just so happy. And he goes from this miserable, lonely, isolated person to this happy person. And the chains have fallen away. And the chains fell away from Zacchaeus. In 9 through 10, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. A son of Abraham. He was part of that bloodline. As Christians, as believers in Christ, that's our bloodline. We have all those promises of Abraham. That's your lineage. There's a pastor out of Texas, Jimmy Evans, and he talks about going to the doctor, and the doctor was saying, well, I know your family's history, so we're going to have to look out for this, and this condition, and this heart area, or whatever, and Jimmy said, I wasn't rude to him, but in my mind, I was saying, my lineage is in with Jesus Christ. That's my bloodline. Listen to Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That's our heritage. That's our promise. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He walked this earth, and he performed miracles, he told parables. He showed the true heart of God in order to save and not to condemn. John 3, 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The question is, are you lost? Are you here today and you're lost? Normally you would know if you're lost. Do you want to have a relationship with Jesus? And sometimes the most dangerous place to be is in church and know you're lost. Because you can think that I'm doing the religion thing, I'm checking the box, and I'm here, but you're far away from the Lord. You haven't surrendered your life to Him. I'm okay, I go to church every Sunday. Don't confuse religion with a relationship. Or don't think I can't do it, I'm a leader, what, what do people think? Don't let pride keep you from Jesus. You may be in that sycamore tree. And right now, Jesus may be calling your name. He may be making eye contact with you. If you feel that, surrender to him. And I promise, it'll radically change your life. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I just...
I thank you so much for the story of Zacchaeus. I thank you, Lord, because you reveal your heart. And Lord, there was a time when you sought me to save me. And Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it is still your heart to seek and to save the lost. And Father, for all of us here who are, are your children, Lord, help us to join you in that work. Help us to join you wherever you are working in this area. And Lord, we call River Bluff our church, but River Bluff is your church, Lord. And Lord, we want you to reign supreme here. We want to follow you in the work that you're doing. So open our eyes to all that's around us. Open our eyes to that friend or coworker or fellow student, to the neighbor, to the person who needs you, Lord. Open our eyes and help us to walk in that. And Lord, enable us to be bold. Enable us to take a risk, to put ourselves out there. Lord, give us the courage to tell our story and how you've changed our life. And Lord, we're not perfect, but we're saved and we're your kids. Father, thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.